Ephesians chapter 1, and we'll look at verses 7 through 12. Verses 3 through 14 in Ephesians 1 comprise what I believe is the longest sentence without a period, the longest sentence in the Greek New Testament. In that context, we find in this great teaching from Paul, well, from the Holy Spirit through Paul, and we saw this last week that we have blessings from the Father, election and adoption. Which brings us to the second portion today. We have blessings from the Son, and then next week, blessings from the Holy Spirit. So let's consider today the blessings that we have from the Son of God. Remember, I told you last time, I hope you remember, that this letter is about our riches as believers, the riches that we have in Christ and because of him and what he has done for us, untold riches. And that thought continues within the text that we're looking at today. So blessings from the son. I want us to extract eight thoughts from these verses today. Now, I have that first sentence. It may not be easy to see. I don't know. I have that first sentence in a gray color because we already covered that, but we have to go back to that to connect to what we're going to look at uh, today. So we'll just pick it up back in verse 6. To the praise of the glory of His grace, which He has freely given us, thought number one, in the beloved one, in whom we have redemption through his blood. Everything that we are, all that we have, whatever we may think of with regard to our salvation, is all in Christ. And it is by the grace of God. More clearly, there is nothing we can do to save ourselves. We cannot prepare ourselves to be saved. We cannot perform some behavior or action in order to help Jesus save us. Nor is there anything that we can do to keep ourselves saved. It is all because we are in the beloved one. We are in Christ Jesus that we have these things. So we know we have blessings from the Father. Saw that first time. Now let's consider the blessings from the Son, the Beloved One. Now the Beloved One is accepted by the Father. Therefore, whoever is in the Beloved One is accepted by the Father as well. If we are in Christ, we are acceptable to the Father. The almighty triune God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, work together. And we are accepted in Him because we are in Christ. Okay? 
So what are our blessings in him? Number one, redemption in whom we have redemption. Apolutrosin. It's a release payment. It's a, it's a, it's a payment for a ransom. Something is in bondage in some way and needs to be purchased. When I was a young man, there was a, a jewelry store. It's where I bought, our, I bought your engagement ring and our, our rings. On the corner of 6th and Broad, a little small store. But you don't have to have a lot of space to have a lot of money tied up in jewelry. And on one side was a pawn shop of this jewelry store. So if you walk in the door, on one side was all the new stuff and, and all. And on the other side was all kind of stuff. Not just jewelry, but all kind of stuff. And the glass display of the entrance. You would walk in, the entrance was recessed somewhat from the sidewalk and in the recession over here and over here would be a glass case window display and on one side were things that had been pawned and and just left no one had ever come back to get it and on every one of those objects there was a large card with a red stamp on it and the price was below and the red stamp said unredeemed. That used to come, I mean, you know, who can feel sorry for a thing, right? It's just stuff. Kind of made you feel bad though. This thing is in there and it's unredeemed. I wanted to crawl into that place and preach the gospel. <laughs> Had four diamonds and one violin saved one Friday. Um, but I thought of how this stuff was lost to something. It wasn't like it was supposed to be. It was unredeemed. Our Redeemer is the Beloved One. It is in the Beloved One whom we have redemption. Now, redemption, the word, means a ransom payment. It involves paying a price. Something has been lost. Something is unredeemed. It's in bondage. In our case, we are in bondage in an unredeemed state. We're in bondage to sin, the sinful state for all of sin. And come short of the glory of God. I'm born that way in Adam. You're born that way in Adam. We're born into a fallen and depraved state. And we cannot help ourselves. We are dead in trespass and sin. There's nothing we can do to cause ourselves to be out of that state of deadness in trespass and sin. And what can a dead thing do? What can a dead person do? Nothing. 
There must be a divine intervention. And the only thing that would cause God to divinely intervene in my life is grace. Unmerited grace, a gift that is undeserved. He just gives it to me. Grace. I can't buy it. I can't behave for it. I'm dead in trespassing sin. I must be caused to be born again. I can't rebirth myself. These are all things that God does for us. And they occur because a price has to be paid. Now, what, paid. what is the price? What, what price does sin demand? The wages of sin is death. The price of sin is death. Now, if I'm unredeemed, I'm done for. My death is what will pay for it. And I will be cast through physical death into the lake of fire. The second death, the awful one that lasts, just dying all the time. And I'm unredeemed. And the price was paid and it's a horrible price. It was extracted from me because I'm dead in trespass and sin. But suppose someone pays the price. If I had liked, I was really into guitars back in those days of, of the jewelry shop. I've done just about everything. Nothing interests me anymore except the Word of God. That's why I just keep getting fatter, I guess. But here's the deal. If I had walked into that jewelry store and plucked one of those guitars out of that back side and somebody had pawned off, I would have redeemed that thing. I don't like to see anything unredeemed. And if I, and, but see, I didn't have the resources to go in there and just pay him off of everything that was unredeemed. I don't have the resources to do that. On the other hand, our Lord Christ is full of grace and mercy. That is the sum total of John chapter 1. Full of grace and mercy. The sum total of the essence of the Christ of God relative to his people is his unbounding resource of redemption. He'll pay for it. That's what he can do. So in him, I have been bought out of my enslavement, my slavery. I have been purchased out of my sinful state. Now, what was the price? His blood, his life. He came into the world 
to save sinners. He gave his life for his church. We'll study that later in Ephesians. It was his blood. It would cost him his blood, his life. Atonement, substitution, which wrought justification because of redemption. Through his blood, he paid the price. I couldn't pay that price. I'm sinful. It would take something sinless to redeem me from my sinful state. So I am in the beloved one. He paid the price. So the ble- starting off with the blessings in the Son of God, redemption through his blood. So the payment was made and I was set free and I belong to him. And if you're in Christ, you are free indeed. But the next thing that I have in Christ is forgiveness of trespasses. Ephesus from Ephesus in the Greek, it, it means, it means uh, bid to go away. Send it away. There's a beautiful illustration in the law of Moses. It occurs, as a matter of fact, not long ago they, uh, they celebrated in Israel, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On that day, in the time of the temple, two goats would be brought before the high priest, both both of them representative of, of sin, the sin of Israel. One would be offered as a sacrifice. Its blood would be sprinkled uh, at the mercy seat and the Holy of Holies. But the other one was left alive and it was carried as far away as the people could carry it and still be on the Day of Atonement. So they carried it way far away so that it could never return. So there's a, there's a, there's a twofold illustration. Number one, you have redemption in one goat in the sense that it paid the price. It was, it was supposed to be a, an innocent thing, but it paid the price. It gave its life. That was the wages of the sins of the people of Israel on the day of atonement. But the other thing was forgiveness. And forgiveness is infinite. Redemption is infinite. So the goat, the scapegoat, would never come back. The idea was it would just keep going and going and going farther and farther away. And it would never, ever return. And that was representative of the sins of the people. They had forgiveness in there on the altar. They had redemption on the altar. They had forgiveness of sin such that their trespasses were infinitely, the idea was they were infinitely separated from the worshipers. Bid to go away. Now this is an absolute and complete thing. Redemption and forgiveness in the Greek text are in the accusative, which means they rest on the transitive verb, which is we have, and we have is in the present active, and that means it don't ever stop. 
It's always there. We have. We've always had it. We have it now. We'll always have it into the ages of the ages. We have. And the two objects that rest on it, redemption and forgiveness. Redemption and forgiveness. And the accusative going back to the we have. So, this blessing, this twofold blessing or two blessings, this blessing in Christ continuing is that we have redemption and forgiveness of trespasses, sins, and we have, in the tense that it's originally given, tells us that it's always been there, always will be there, it'll never believe. We have it. It's mine. Written in such a way that there is nothing that ever can take this away from me. Nothing. Nothing. I don't know what I'm going to do tomorrow. I'll probably commit some kind of sin. I'll, <laughs> I'll probably get my words mixed up. But that has nothing to do with what has, the beloved has done for me. He's already taken care of it. It was settled in the mind of God. If it's in the present active, which it is, if it's in the mind of God forever, it is a forever thing. I can, I can, never, I can never be released from redemption and forgiveness of trespasses because the price has been paid. His blood. How much? How much can he pay? I may do something really bad tomorrow or next week or next year. I don't know. That's why salvation in God through Christ is a forever thing. That's why eternal life is called eternal life. Because it's a God thing and not a man thing. So, how much can he pay? Well, how rich is God? Third thought. According to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us all. And so, the, what follows that? He lavished it all, the riches of his grace, lavished upon us all in all wisdom and understanding. Us in all wisdom and understanding. All wisdom and understanding. So that means now in Christ, in these present days, in the time of the church, knowledge and truth have been released to us that those previous to us in other ages just weren't ready for. But today, in the beloved, we have all wisdom and understanding. Brings us to the fourth thought. Having made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure. What is the mystery of his will according to his pleasure? What we just talked about. In Christ, we always and forever, 
If we are in Christ, when we are in Christ and the beloved one, we always and forever have redemption and forgiveness of trespasses, forgiveness of sins, because he paid it with his blood, the blood of the son of God. He has made this mystery known to us because he purposed this in Christ, in him, for the dispensation of the fullness of the times. Or the, the word dispensation up there means the time management of the household or, or, or whatever, the administration of the household. But God the Father, through the Beloved One, has given us knowledge of the mystery of His will because it pleased Him to do so. And He purposed this in Christ for the dispensation of the fullness of times. In the age of innocence, they didn't need to know anything about a redeemer because they didn't need a redeemer. Now, I believe in, of course, I believe in the sovereignty of God and in his sovereign grace and salvation. And I believe that in order to be in the appropriate work of the Lord, us not knowing whom God has chosen, we are commanded to go into all of the world and to preach the gospel to everybody all the time. And God will work through it the way he sees fit. So I believe, of course, in the sovereign grace and sovereign will of God and the sovereign purpose of God. But I also believe that the work of God in his salvation and working in man's time has been dispensed according to the day in which certain people were alive. I said in the age of innocence, they didn't have to know this stuff. But the age of innocence gave way to the age of conscience. And so now there's the promise of the seed of woman. Who is the seed of woman? The woman doesn't carry the seed. The man carries the seed. So therefore, the woman, apart from the need of a man, will have a child. Genesis 3. Well, it, it goes, I mean, it goes from there to human government. And from human government, it goes to the age of promise. And from the age of promise to the age of the law. And each one collapses into the next. And for that particular point, that was the fullness of the times as far as they knew. But it wasn't the complete fullness. And now, where we are, in Him... We have this administration, this dispensation of the fullness of, of the times. And the word time there is kairos, not horror. It, it's, it means a season of time, not an hour, not a particular specific time. So God purposed in Christ the dispensation of the fullness of times because he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure. And it all rests, if I may go back, on the truth that in the beloved one, we have absolute and complete redemption and forgiveness. 
And now we know because he has lavished upon us all wisdom and understanding. What do we know? That the fullness of times is even upon us. So the law gave way to grace. Everything before that collapses into where we are now, grace. But there, there's something else we know because he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his pleasure. We know that the fullness in the current age, the current era, the fullness will finally come to fruition in the age of the kingdom. Christ comes back, establishes his kingdom. Well, we talked about that a lot in the Revelation. To bring together all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. The only thing that survives to the kingdom will be those who are in Christ. Nobody else will be there. Now, some will be born in the kingdom. We studied in the Revelation. Satan is loosed for a little season. There is great destruction upon those who would have been born during the millennial kingdom and yet still sin and follow in, follow in the tempter's way. Satan's way, then it all goes away. Christ dissolves it all and creates a new heaven and a new earth. So then, to bring together all things in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth, everything is in Christ. And if you look at 1 Corinthians 15, the Son, after the millennial kingdom, the Son will have delivered up the kingdom to the Father so that all is in all. And we studied in the Revelation recently about that new heaven, new earth, that new existence, that, that wonderful thing, wonderful time. But he has made that mystery known to us. We have the completed canon of Scripture. We have the Bible. We have it all. We're not waiting for another apostle or another prophet to give us another piece of it. We already have it all. God worked in the way that he would work according to what they had. Isaiah said it line upon line, precept upon precept. But now we have it all and it's by his pleasure. And he purposed this for the administration of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, the things in the heavens and the things upon the earth. Now these are the riches that we have, the blessings that we have in Christ. In Him, in whom also we have obtained an inheritance. We are joint heirs with Christ. That's unmistakable, it's undeniable, and it is because nothing that I've done. How can I afford heaven? We're, cont we're continuing in Exodus tonight. As a matter of fact, I'm going to finish Exodus tonight. But as humble as the tabernacle looks in the book of Exodus, as humble as it looks... Because of all of the material, gold, silver, brass, very high-priced material, 
that make the draperies and veils and curtains and so forth. As best as we can tell, the value in today's price of the tabernacle was, would be somewhere around $67 million. Now you're looking at a thing that the whole tabernacle may, may, might be as long as the sanctuary here, maybe a little longer. Half again is wide. So it's, and it looks kind of common to look at it from the outside because of the material that's used to drape everything around. But the whole thing would be worth about $67 million. Now, Let me take you to my new home in the New Jerusalem. The walls are 85 yards thick and they're about 1,400 miles high and they go, four, they go 1,380 to 1,400 miles this way, this way, this way, this way, and this way. They're 85 yards wide, these walls, and they're diamond. According to the measure of the, of the city gates of the day in which John wrote, gates would be a third as high as the wall. So three gates on each side, 12 gates, each gate a single pearl. And the gate would be a third as high as the wall. So that's a, that's a 500 mile high gate, pearl. Incandescent golden streets. Material of the new heaven and the new earth that we probably don't really understand right now, but they would cascade and circle and go up and spiral this way and that, splashing forth from the throne at the pinnacle 1,400 miles high is the Niagara of the or origin of the river of life. And it splashes its way down the middle of the golden street on either side are the trees of life. And I live in that place. And that doesn't count whatever will be in the new heaven and the new earth. In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. It belongs to Christ and it belongs to me. We are joint heirs with Christ. So this is a blessing in the Son of God. Thought number eight. Having been predestined, we talked about that last time, according to the purpose of the one working all things, don't diminish that phrase, the one working all things. Now, I am part of all things. My salvation, my redemption, my forgiveness, my inheritance, all that's part of all things. And I'm not working it. He's working it. According to the purpose of the one working all things, According to the counsel of his will, however he wants to do it, that's how he's going to do it. It's all of him and none of me.
And this is why we are so humbled before him in worship. If we are for real, if we are born again, bought by the blood, spirit, baptized, Bible-believing Christians like we are supposed to be, we are profoundly awestruck into an, un, uh, into an in, unexplainable reverence and worship. Because he who is everything did this for me and I'm nothing. I can't do anything. I can't buy it. I can't keep it. I can't enter into it in any way. He worked all things. Predestined according to the purpose of the one working all things. According to the counsel of his will. Not my will. His will. And so I enter into his courts with thanksgiving. And those gates are opened with praise. And all I can do is worship. That's all I can do. That's what he created me for. That's all he requires. To the praise, you remember that? To the praise of the glory of his grace. He graced us. We've been graced in Christ. Nothing else. So Almighty God, all I can bring to you is my thanksgiving. And my worship. To walk humbly with you. To trust you, have faith in you. Knowing that it's all of you. According to the counsel of your will, the one who is working all things. That's where I am in Christ. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? If you would be saved today, or... If you would follow the Lord in baptism today, having been saved, or if it has been pressed upon you to join this church today, we have deacons and their wives in a couple of rooms as you exit. You'll see them, and they are there waiting to pray with you and to answer questions you may have about any of those three things. If God lays that on your heart, Today's the day to settle those things. God bless you. Thank you for being here today. Father God in heaven, we are simply collapsed in your presence because you are everything. And you've done everything. And you saw fit to speak to our hearts to awaken us from our deadness 
and to draw us to Christ, who is the only Savior. And I know, Lord, we will spend into the ages of the ages giving thanks and praise for who you are and what you've done. Thank you for your precious holy word. Bless us now as we leave this place and help us to live for you in all things. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed.